Abraham Lincoln. Louisiana Purchase, that's a name. You need to really get off my balls, okay? I'm gonna kick your ass. Also, why was Michelangelo so stinky? Ew. Welcome to episode four of the Ultraman Files. I'll be your host today, Patrick. I just want to thank you all for your patience, taking a little bit of a break from doing the shows. I can work on things around AYCH. Uh, not going to give too much away at the head of the show right now, but uh, there's some there's some pretty big things coming to AYCH so we're, we're getting pr- uh, prepared for. So don't worry. We didn't forget about the Ultraman Files. It's still going to continue. I want to say thank you for everyone that's been listening to the Ultraman Files. Previous episodes or the last few weeks, uh, those have been some of our most listened to episodes of the year, and we really appreciate you listening to those, and uh, there'll be more to come. The goal for t- today's episode, since it's been a few weeks since the last episode of the Ultraman Files, we'll be covering the... We'll be covering four episodes today, episodes 7, 8, 9, and 10 of Ultraman Decker today. I do plan to cover Red Man issue 3 and the Mystery of Ultra 7 issue 2 at a later episode. Uh, but don't worry, I haven't forgot about those. Those will be discussed in time. So uh, I think we'll go ahead and get started with episode 7 of Ultraman Decker, The Light of Hope from the Red Planet. And basically, this is the start of the Ultraman Trigger and Ultraman Decker, like, mini-arc in the show. And the episode opens up with a big shot of Mars, which, if you remember, is where the previous Ultraman uh, host, Kingo, is from. He, he's from the planet Mars, and at the end of the series, he's able to you know, reconnect with his home planet on the colony there. And so, so opens up with this little kid like watering some flowers, and then Kingo comes up next to him and sort of like has this nice little moment because Kingo is like this very outgoing person, and of course, you know, he loves flowers, and like part of his goal in the previous season was to spread happiness, and a big focal point was this like very special flower that he was like grooming and like pruning for the whole season, and that bloom finally came through. But that happiness is short-lived in this instance because the spear, the 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 ball-like aliens that kickstarted the whole plot of this season, they are attacking this essentially this like refugee settlement of Martian colony colony of uh, citizens and like other sort of like space-faring refugees. They're attacking, but we see uh, some old faces, some familiar faces. Uh, Akita and Captain Tatsumi from the original Guts Let's team from Ultraman Trigger. They're back and they're fighting off the sphere. And then we get to see Kengo transform into Trigger. And, and, and that's sort of what opens the episode until we get to our themes, the theme break. So he sends out a big wave energy, blows up all the spheres. And then he's talking to his comrades, uh, Tatsumi and Akita. 
and basically figuring out what they need to do because like the sphere are still active and it's still dangerous and like they're sort of been using this time to help people help the refugees of the Mars colony after the sphere attack and basically they've been looking over looking out for people in space and in transit and so Kingo gets to gets the urge like you know, he needs to go to Earth. There's something going on. He needs to help out. But how to get there because the Sphere's barrier is still intact. But Octa being the genius that he is gives him a very special card that's in, like ultra card that's imbued with the energy of the Sphere that will allow him to travel back to Earth. And one thing I and back in just a little bit, one thing I forgot to mention is that right before the spheres attacked, he receives like sees like this vision of light. He sees a vision of Usare in her like celestial light form, and she sort of gives him like a warning: take these objects and go to Earth, which is why he was going in the first place. And what what was different is that while he's seen Usare in her celestial light form like she looks different like this is a different version of her perhaps from a different time or a different dimension as we'll find out but essentially she gives him three ultra cards and a special sword and it's like okay this is very interesting so essentially it's the it's the ultra cards of his three forms uh his three forms of trigger and this card seems to have like this slot for using the abilities from those cards. So the sword transforms into the little trinket for his uh, light gun, and the, the cards turn into energy, and so he activates his sky form, flies into space, and heads to, to planet Earth. And meanwhile, on Earth, uh, the Guts team there is sort of like monitoring the situation. Like, there's this strange dark energy that's kind of like bubbling beneath the surface of the city. It's like, okay, something's going on. Some bad stuff about to brew. It just, just dark energy feels familiar. It's like, what are we going to do? And then there's a, a breach signal, which is essentially trigger coming in from space, penetrating the barrier. So they send... So Kanata heads out and the Guts Falcon to intercept this energy. But before you can really make too much headway, these giant tentacles shoot out of the ground and like swat the falcon out of the sky he transforms in order to save himself to get away from danger so he hits the ground running starts fighting out the tentacles but then like he gets captured and before these this new wave of tentacles go to strike him trigger comes out of the sky fights off all the tentacles blows them away scares them off and so like there's this meeting of the giants so like Kanata realized, oh wait, there's another Ultra. It's like this is I've heard stories. This is the Ultra Man that saved the Earth ten years ago, and he's back. And so they turn off their Ultra forms. They meet face to face in human form, person to person. And he and Kanata's just like starstruck. It's like, oh, you're you're the Ultra. You're the one that saved the Earth. But also, you're from the Gut Select team. The one like my predecessors, the the ones I maybe want to join the team in the first place and he's just like gushing and he's just like so so impressed and then King goes just like very bashful and humble and it's like oh thank you thank you and it's like there's an immediate rapport between the two and so they go back to the nurse dress eye to the mothership 
and they're basically just like, oh, look who I ran into. It's Kengo, you know, the famous, and everybody's sort of like, just like catching up and talking, and then, and then Riemon, uh kind of sort of quietly observing, and sort of chimes in, well, if you went to Mars, you know, all those years ago, how do you get back? And and this sort of leads to uh, Kanata and Kenko sort of like very, very like desperately trying to like spin a yarn to try to figure out like, oh, uh, well, actually he was, he's really unearthed and he, he was here just before the spear attacked. And, and it's like, well, if there's a, basically just like these very obvious lies and are just like they managed to dodge the situation long enough for them to like move the conversation along and a big portion of the episode is Kengo and Kanata like just sort of like bonding and like you know like like sort of like the, the secret of being an Ultraman like being sort of this like quiet lonely defender of the planet and basically, Kengo asking, Kanata's like, wh- basically asking, like, why is it that you choose to be Ultraman? Like, why do you, why are you really doing this? Like, where's your heart truly lying in sort of like this fight? Because, like, this is a dangerous game. And, you know, he sort of, his sort of very cheerful demeanor is sort of put to the side for a moment. And he's trying to make this very serious address to like this young man who's just recently become like this being put in this position of like protecting the earth and all of its inhabitants and like realizing the weight that comes with that and then he's sort of like well i'm not entirely sure yet and then king goes like well you don't have to make your make up a, a, a decision or an answer right away you know just know that this isn't a decision to make lightly and you shouldn't treat it you should treat it with the gravity it commands and it deserves. And then there's a, there's a nice little moment of them like going back to like lighter affair and uh, there's a little nice little reference of Kengo showing the, the ribbit dance when he met Ultraman Ribbit from back in the day. So that was cute. But meanwhile, beneath the surface of the city, there's like this dark energy brewing. It's like, and it's the return of. Megalothor, essentially the final boss monster of Trigger, and it's it's been essentially kind of like reinvigorated, resurrected through the influence of of the spheres. Because if you remember, the spheres could like possess and enhance other kaiju or sort of like reconfigure them in some capacity. So essentially this gigantic powerful monster has returned and it was the source of that dark energy we mentioned earlier and like all those like giant tentacle attacks so essentially megalothor manifests itself in this giant like tornado of darkness it's like blowing up the cities and so uh the nurse precise swoops in to to save today, but then, like, as with tradition, the spears send out this EMP wave, knocks the dress eye out of the sky, the crash lands, and then, in the confusion, Kengo Kanata, they sneak away, and they had, like, a really cool moment where they had, you know, the double transformation scene side to side. Always cool to see the, the previous, you know, Toku hero and then the current Toku hero teaming up, transforming at the same time. 
And so they land on the battlefield. They start attacking Megalothor. And basically, because, you know, this is a final boss monster. They kind of, like, can't pussyfoot around. They have to, like, really go and attack him with everything they got. And I like how they're just, like, spamming their forms. Like, just, like, quick changing from one form to the next just to lay it in. And there's a great moment where both uh, Trigger and Decker assume, like, their red, like, power forms. Like, the strength focus forms and basically to do like this combo punch and strike strike the, the monster together and puts this a really cool like aerial shot looking down of, of the simultaneous punch that the two land on the on the kaiju this is like this just like this compressed like explosion like close up on it and at this moment you know it's time for trigger to show off his new toys so he summons the, 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 the special sword that he was given by Yuzare. And he starts, like, swiping cards. He swipes his his balance, multi-type form, sends up his wave energy, attacks, and essentially, like, cuts open this gash in the carapace of Megalothor. He's charging up his next big move, and while Decker is, like, holding off the tentacles so he gives him an open shot... He, uh, he Trigger goes in for that final blow, but then he hears a voice. A voice he's, he never thought he'd hear again. He, a voice that calls out his name, Kengo. And then he's like, well, it, that, that can't be right. That's not who I think it is. And you, it, within the, the wound, you see uh, Carmera's face. Like, you know, the big, bad, villainous orchestrator of all the the crimes and the destruction of the previous season the villain who you know had just like this passion this lust for trigger or the trigger she knew from thousands and thousands of years ago the, the, the carmera that died in trigger's arms you know finally seen the air of her ways and at, 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 as she drew her last breath and he sees, like, he stops. It's like, oh, that's Carmera. What the hell is that? What does this mean? And then that moment, Megalothor disappears and it's tornado. And then that's where the episode ends. Setting up the action for episode eight. I will say, like, this episode, it was definitely pretty light on, act, on like, I guess, like, heavy content. It's definitely, it's always nice to see the previous ultra or previous heroes you know kind of meet up interact with the current one that's always fun but i will say it was like it was a little light wasn't like a whole lot of stuff happening but not a bad episode uh it, it does remind me of the trigger and z episodes from the previous season which is like to me my favorite episodes from trigger because like i love ultraman's at um and just to see those characters back, great. And like, and just seeing that like, just Akito and Tats, uh, Captain Tatsumi back were great. Because, you know, like, I, just, I really hope at some point in the season that we get, like, a full reunion. Like, the OG Guts Select team teaming up with the current Guts. And I think that'd be, a, that would just be really cool to see them all again. See how they... Uh, interact and yeah, could we have Marlulu come back? I would love to see that. It was like, personally, I'm happy that uh, to see Captain Tatsumi again. The Captain Tatsumi was 
so fine. And he's he's just a cool dude, super handsome. Glad he's back. So that's sort of heads and tails of episode seven. Uh, take a little break, and we'll come back and talk about episode eight, Light and Darkness, again. Welcome back. This is our discussion of episode eight, Light and Darkness, again. And in this episode, we see the continuation of the Ultimate Trigger crossover story arc from the previous one. And we get more into, like, the building drama that's, like, been going on. Like, there's the remnants of Trigger's, like, world building and, like, plot and monsters. Those are all, like, still buried underground, waiting to burst forth, just like they did at the start of this episode, because we see a flower bloom in the middle of a city that looks like the flower that Kingo was cultivating in his entire series uh, <laughs> which I still think it's crazy that this like flower that Kingo was meant to be like oh this will be like this nice symbolic thing to help engender happiness in people the flower is named off of, like a the, the fictional city in Lovecraft lore that Cthulhu's from, Raleigh, I believe. Crazy that that's what they decided to name this flower. Anyhow, this, uh, this flower blooms and then, like, it, like, shoots out this pollen that, like, makes all the people passing by, like, kind of collapse on the ground in, like, this dreamlike state, like, this trance, like, they're just kind of, like, milling on the ground, like, and then this like dream state of like oh they're like their best dreams are like coming to life in their head. The gut sluts team is made aware of this. They hit the ground running. They're like, okay, we gotta find out what's up with this flower. Why does it look like Kingo's plant? And then like the first thing that Kanata does is just stick his whole snoop in the plant. He gets a whiff full of the pollen, passes out, wakes up in the dream of like the, the his guts team is like hanging out at his family's rice cracker store like they're trying to buy a bunch of crackers from him and he's just like really thrilled but then like he realizes this isn't really what I want like this is nice but I don't want to just like sell crackers to my friends I kind of want something more so he's able to wake up out of this weird dream state he's he's the only one though the rest of the people that were affected by the pollen that they're still in this dream trance and, and they're trying to figure out like what's up with this flower and why does it look like Kingo's plant and Kingo feels very like responsible like the whole reason I was cultivating this flower was so I could use that to make people happy to like spread goodwill across the world but he's just like why is this happening he feels responsible and then suddenly there's three people entered the ship it's uh, Yuna from Trigger, like the, the previous Gut Select member. Like she's back, and she has has since joined up with her father's like big tech conglomerate team. And and while like Kingo's like, oh my friend, she's kind of very like curt and direct. And it's like, listen, we have an issue, and my my family's company is here to step in and assist with the issue. And she sort of goes into detail that through her family's company they're able to figure out that the reason why this flower is manifesting how it's connected to this like ultra ancient dark energy and return of the megalothor is that 
apparently, ten years ago when Chimera, like, activated the Infinity Cord, like the just big massive reserve of just energy that she's been she was after that the ultra ancient civilization created that because like this well of energy was like this the sum total of this or this like civilization's like culture and like life that the seeds for this like ancient plant was mixed in so when she turned into megalothor as like her one-winged angel form it was sort of got mixed in and because the rank the remains of megalothor is like buried in the earth and the earth is now just like saturated with the energy from the spheres and the spheres <laughs> energy sort of like revitalizes and reconstitutes uh alien matter that's how megalothor is able to return and there within the seeds from this ancient plant the gajiran and gajiran is essentially connected to Raleigh. And so she decides, okay, we, we know how we can uh, defeat this because my family's company has developed a herbicide that will destroy this plant because they studied Raleigh, uh, Kinga's plant, and in terms of like whatever they were able to pull from this, from the previous examination of the ultra-ancient civilization from Trigger. And so, like, everybody's kind of, like, going their separate ways to figure out the, how to get this plan into order. And Kingo goes back to his quarters, and he's sort of, like, she's still feeling guilty about his plant being used for evil. And, but then suddenly, Yuna bursts into his room, gives him a great big hug, and she apologizes for being so, like, curt and, like, cold to him initially because, like, she, because she's join her father's company, her family's company, she has to have this sort of dispassionate front to be like, you know, this is this is my job, I have to do this, I have to maintain this austere, you know, facade for the sake of my family and my duty, but then, like, now she's in, in this private moment with Kingo, she sort of, like, lets all that fall away. It's just like, yes, finally, my old friend, we can catch up, I missed you so much because I've been here on Earth for all the... All of our other friends, they've gone off to space and, you know, continue to, like, you know, peacekeeping ways, essentially. So she's catching up and just sort of, like, really savoring this chance to, like, to, to let loose and be, you know, herself in front of her old friend. And then they start talking about, like, the connection between the ancient plant Gajiran from the old, from the, from this ultra society and then, like, Rala, like, why are they similar? And they come to the conclusion that it's because since Kingo inherited these memories from the ultra ancient civilization due to him being the Ultraman Trigger or like destined to be Ultraman Trigger, sort of like the reincarnation of the host of Ultraman Trigger. And so like that's why when he was using his skills of like botanary science to cultivate this plant that would bring happiness to the world it's like be like this symbol of goodwill is because in the ancient civilization the 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 citizens used this plant the plant gajiran medicinally like they use this plant to help people to make them healthy to like you know to make people happy which is like that's why kingo was so determined to use his plant 
as a means to help people and to make people happy and like that's what's the connection because like the distant past this plant was used to help people and so therefore he wants to use his plant to help people and there's like that connection spanning thousands and thousands of years and that's why um the idea has manifested itself here in, t- in, the, in this current day so they realize as as much as you know it, it kind of hurts they have to they have to destroy this plant because it's causing more danger to the world because this plant is not only putting people into this dreamlike state and like incapacity it's also kind of putting it under its thrall because all the people that have been affected by the pollen they're sort of like creating this living shield so when the guts like so the guts let soldiers go into like the neutralize it these entranced people are like blocking the way like holding them back and obviously they can't attack these humans these other people because they're like stuck in this state so have to find another way and since plants only pollinate during the day they decided to have a a nighttime attack so essentially the nurse side has been loaded with this special herbicide they just sort of like poison the plant it's just so it's like wilting away as they pass over and then they decided to just go like hard okay we gotta blow this motherfucker up from the roots so they fired the big fuck all laser at it which i love how at this point in this series just like you know, I, the the nurse dress side nurse cannon was like you know just last resort weapon, and now just they use it every opportunity they get now because the laser is just too damn cool not to use. However, at the last moment, uh, the the newly revitalized Megalothor returns abrupts from the ground, blocks the the beam with a big shield, and I realize okay, time to go to work. So Kingo and Kanata they transform they. They turn into their respective ultras and they start fighting. And the action in this episode is really crazy. There's like a lot of frenetic cuts and jumping and blasting around, like shooting, like shooting their beams and firing lasers, attacking with their swords. And and there's there's a there's a big like combo moment where Trigger transforms into his sky form and Decker transforms into his miracle form. Basically, the form that sort of accentuate speed and like special moves so they're like zipping around like firing lasers and hitting their like their and he triggers using like his sky arrows and all the while like all their attacks are sort of like exposing this crack this scar on the chest of megalothor and then down on the ground yuna is has sort of like taken to the field with Rimon and the rest of the team they realize okay they, re- they realize that that scar is up to something that's it's important it's kind of like it's protecting it and it's that's sort of its weak point so Rimon ha- like fires his opening shot to like expose the scar so they all start just like firing away with their guns and then Yuna's like alright I'm gonna you know show them how, how it's done so she loads in uh, into her light gun the um just a special chip that has like the powers of Gamora, like you know, this classic kaiju. So it shoots this big fiery beam, splits the crack open, the the old that's blasts this like gross scar off, you know. And see Carmera like who's stuck within the new uh, Megalothor because like the Megalothor was revived from its remains due to the ancient, I mean, uh, due to the spheres. Uh, like revitalization energy so therefore Chimera was as well 
because like she was inside the monster when it was destroyed and so the whole time you're trying to like fight to get her out so she's like trying to push through the guts and the wound of megalothor and it's at this point they're trying all their tricks out and so what they decide to do decker uses his miracle the psychic abilities of his miracle form to like basically to open up the wound and pull Kamara out Meanwhile, Trigger is using the special sword, the dual sword he got from uh, User A to like deflect attacks. And then down down on the ground, Yuna summons summons User A in her previous form. Because if you notice, the User A that Yuna summons is the one that we're familiar with, and not the one with the short haircut and the different design that Kenko saw on Mars. So it's maybe thinking that. That other user A is still from what time or space she's from. She's still yet to like reappear in, in like the larger plot. So Yuna, as user A, uses her abilities to help pull the what remains of Chimera out of the carapace of Megalothor. And it's just it's it's a little funny because like Chimera is just you know just covered in goop, just like she's sl- slimed up and she's just kind of falls into the chest of Trigger, but also just like a, I would say a, a pretty ass-dominant shot of Chimera on the screen as she's like covered in slime and like kind of reconnecting with Trigger. And they go in, and there's like a scene in like ultra space where like Chimera and human size is like meeting up with Kingo. They have like this little, this like this brief little discussion. And then they realize, you know, because they, they expended all this energy fighting Megalothor, their power t- t- timers are going off. It's like okay, we gotta wrap this up quick, boys. And so this is the redemption of Chimera, and then Chimera and Trigger and Decker all team up to fight Megalothor. So they're like shooting lasers, blasting you know with energy balls. Chimera using her laser whips, and there's all just like fighting bit back and forth, back and forth. Kamara like uses her whips like hold the Megalothor in place. Trigger uses his dual sword, and then they have like it's time for the the finisher. So Trigger turns into his final form, Glitter Eternity, and then it's just a three way beam classic, just all fire on Megalothor at once, destroy him once and for all, dispel the the remaining aspects of the dark energy, and it's gone. And Chimera just sort of silently takes her leave after the battle. And so, once everything's said and done, Kingo and Kanata have, like, this moment together. It's like, you know, Kingo's relieved that he was able to save the the person he felt like he failed. Because in all of his time as Ultraman, he was able to save and help a lot of people, inspire others, and, like, you know, and through his plan, like engender this goodwill this positivity this hope in the larger populace but he couldn't save chimera like he that was beyond his strength at the time but he was given this second chance and he's he felt like i i i've saved her she's she, you know she my one failing the one big thing he felt like he couldn't achieve is, has been satisfied and he sort of remembers his talk with kanata earlier it's like why are you fighting? Like, what's the reason that you're doing this? Who are you trying to save? What are you trying to achieve? What is your 
your purpose for doing this and Kingo still doesn't have an answer for him but but Kingo assures him it's okay your your answer will come in time just like it took me my entire you know quote season to achieve what I wanted to and even then it took another 10 years for him to finally do everything that he needed was you know to save Chimera and so he departs and then there's one last bit where Kingo and Yuna have a private uh, farewell it's like you're heading back she's like please be careful I'll I'll keep an eye on things on earth you know say hello to everyone on the old team back in March and then Chimera appears again it's like and she's like please come with me let's go back to Mars and so basically this is like the start of Chimera's redemption and we get a little hint because she came back she hints that uh, her essentially kind of like her henchmen the lack of a better word Dargon and Hudrum uh, they may be coming back as well because she held like essentially their essences with her like when she pulled out a blue orb and a red orb of energy it's like oh it's, it's those guys they're coming back too so so Kengo transforms into Trigger and Chimera and himself they they depart Earth and they head back to Mars and essentially that's probably going to be the last time that we see them for a while because the the card that was made for him to bypass the Spears barrier it was like kind of unstable we don't know how many chances they can get so from now on it's up to Kanata and his friends so like it's up to us now we can't rely on help like this before so it's sort of really resolves Kanata to continue the fighting and to find out exactly why he's fighting and what he's fighting for. So this was a fun episode. It definitely had like some some nice character moments and some the, even though the action was like a little crazy, it might be a little hard to follow. It was still fun. And plus like it's always just super cathartic, you know, exciting to see when like the bad guy, you know, like Carmere, for instance, you know, comes back, has their like redemption, and even though it's like it, it is funny how like how many people in the fandom is like, oh, I can't, I want Trigger and Carmere to end up together. They're so cute, and then like, <laughs> please ignore all Carmere's crimes because like, you know, basically just criminal for like thousands of years, and then like, oh, she came back and it's like, oh, I'm sorry, you know, but you know that's like that's basic villain reform logic. It was still a great time. It's still a fun episode. We'll take another break and we'll come back with our discussion of episode nine. Welcome back, everybody. This is the next segment, and we're talking about episode nine, standing tall for someone special. Right away, you can tell there's a difference in how it looks and how this episode feels. There's definitely like a a certain like sharpness or like filter on the episode so it, it looks and feels different and honestly just getting it out of the way like this is one of my favorite episodes so far in the, in, of the season like this has this has a really good stories and really good action and just uh, it was a lot of fun to sit and watch and it pays tribute to um a vet a veteran toku suit actor koji nakamura he'll be playing the special guest sort of like character in the show uh grace 
And also, this is a big like tribute episode to Dinah as well, because this whole season is for the anniversary of Ultraman Dinah. So a lot of the episodes are saying paying homage to those original episodes, but also giving it like their own like feel and flair and individuality in the middle of it all. So to get it started, uh, Kirino and Kanata they're out on patrol. And as they sort of split up to cover more ground, uh, a young girl approaches Kanata with a camera and a photo. He's like, what's this about? And the photo is of Kanata about to transform. And the little girl says, like, hey, I'll tell people you're Ultraman unless you fight my dad. And he's immediately, like, freaking out, like, what's happening? What's going on? How does this kid know I'm Ultraman? And so, after the the intro, there it cuts to the like the the tenements, like the living quarters of like this construction company, and you see sort of like this middle-aged man, uh, the little girl who's now we know as Mika, and Kanata sitting in the living room of this house or his tenement, and he's sort of basically like apologizing, like my daughter's. Got a little overambitious, like, you know, blackmailing is wrong, kids. Don't do that. Even if it's to, like, kind of pump up your dad, who was a universally renowned martial artist who, like, literally traveled the stars fighting the strongest people in the universe. And on on the wall, you see, like, posters and awards and medals and, like, a cool wrestling belt of, like, all of his accomplishments and... And Grace was sort of, and like in human form, is sort of like kind of bashful and humble. It's like, yeah, I'm, yeah, I was, I was quite the star back in the day, but you know, it's been it's been some time. It's not who he once was. Basically, he came to Earth years ago, like looking for a stronger punk because he'd heard old. There's like this Ultraman. There's like this powerful entity that lives on Earth and like fights monsters and like. It's pretty strong, but when he got there, we can, thanks to the efforts of Trigger, like it's an uh, an era of peace, so there wasn't really any monsters or any ultras to fight. So he was getting ready to leave when like the sphere attack and then sphere invasion happened. So like he's trapped on Earth. He's sort of you know this universally renowned like fighter is now sort of relegated to like a very human existence and like living. Like a very hand-to-mouth existence, as we'll see demonstrated a little later in the episode. But basically, uh, Mika, his daughter, is like she idolizes her dad. She, you know, thinks he's just like he's the strongest, and she wants to help keep his like fighting spirit alive. Like just because he's been sort of confined to this alien planet for him, doesn't mean he should give up on his dream and his you know desire to to fight and to continue to prove himself basically you know she found out that Kanata was Ultraman is like well Ultraman's like the protector to your dad for he he's must be the strongest so he'd be perfect to fight my dad and sort of like keep him in fighting shape and he's like and his grace and sort of admonishes her it's like you know that's all well and good but you can't coerce people into doing that that's not how we do things and so they have, you know, they have just a little meeting, and then eventually Kanata goes to leave, and 
he has a little moment with Mika, and while Grace walks from far, like he kind of like clutches his chest, like you know he has like heart pains, like you know, because he's an old man and like the cholesterol is too high. He's got like space uh, osteoclosis or whatever that high cholesterol disease is. But meanwhile, on the nurse dress side, uh, the doctor he's back and sort of like explaining, you know, the tech and the upgrades that you know guts. Falcon and Guts Hawk reminded the audience that hey, they combine and make like this super, like sp- spacecraft that has like this wicked laser, and basically saying he theorizes that you know through their advancement that this laser will prove very effective against the sphere, but it's still in development. And as they're talking, they get an alert, and uh, classic Ultra Kaiju here. Red King, aka Corn Godzilla, shows up and he starts, and he's and he's like ready to scrap. He's ready to go. So they de- they deploy the team. Kirino and Kanata go to the ground to help the people escape. And Ryumon, it, it takes Guts Falcon, and he's you know flying around, strafing, shooting, and dodging. And so like didn't the attacks. Um, uh, this draws the attention of Mika and Grace, and like, okay, it's time for old man to step up. So Grace uh, activates his true form of just like very Ultraman-like alien creature, and he has like his own like rise moment, like Ultra-ass transformation, where he, you know starts small and zooms up, gets bigger as he like dives in the battle and it's just a really cool sequence because you see Red King in the city and all of a sudden these gigantic swords fall from the sky in like a square formation kind of like representing like the the four corners of you know of a wrestling ring of ring post and then he drops down from the sky it has an interesting form basically like this Ultraman like body but it's like black with like these large gold accents like these three like diamond, almost like buttons going down the center of his chest. His head is what's most unusual. It's almost like this obsidian, like cracked lava rock kind of carapace around his head, like glowing red eyes, and this big, like flashy, like gold, silver, like cape mantle that he has on. And he had, like, you know, he says, like, I'm the steel phenomenon. Get ready for the three count of doom. It's like, you know, he's very that is he's very much like wrestler coded like like wrestler themed character so he throws off the mantle he jumps right into the fight and he's just like dipping diving and dodging around red king does a sick drop kick and it'd be like people and like the the refugees and civilians like oh who's this new guy i heard his name's grace and they're like hey he's pretty badass and then like but of course you know he can't. He can't have an edge for too long. Like his, like his palpitations start acting up. His chest pains start to uh, kick in, and so Kirino and Ramon kind of like take taking the action. Like Kirino on the ground, like uses. Her, it's still funny to see like these like real ass guns, like fighting kaiju. So like you see Kirino on the ground, like use like an SMG to like shoot at Red King to. To distract them, and then Ryumon flies in with his jet and shoots uh, Red King in the neck, which is like its weak point. And there's a really cool like sequence in the middle of the 
of this like fight between guts and red king the red king like picks up this whole ass building and just throws it and but then right before he picks it up you see like this uh, intern this uh internal shot of like inside the building the red king's like charging it, and you see like this little like storeroom with like desks and shelves and like bookcases and all these little like miniature supplies which which is, had a very similar scene in the previous episode of like an office you know, with desk and everything, and then, like, when the monster attack, like, all the little bitty pieces flying in the air, and it's just, like, then, like, a chance to really show off, like, just the depth and the the detail of their miniature work. Like, you see, like, literally, this is, like, a tiny office space filled with, like, little tiny pieces, and you see this get flung in the air. It's, like, it's very impressive what they're able to do with their miniature work. And so, they're, they're able to... Uh, sort of like staggered the Red King. Grace getting his second win. He pull he pulls out a giant swing that would make Cesaro proud. The swings Red King round around by the tail, throws him away, and the Red King sort of like scurries away, like digs a hole in the ground and escapes. And then like all the people in in the city are just like, yeah, Grace, he's so cool. And then like the crowd goes wild. Afterwards. Mika had set up this meeting with Guts, essentially, because the TPU, that basically, TPU sort of reaches out to Grace and Mika, and so they have, like, this moment, this, like, kind of full exposure moment, like, Grace admits that he's an alien, and he's here, and he's sort of, like, his past, like, you know, I was a, like, an intergalactic combatant, and I'm here. I'm living on Earth because, as we saw earlier in the season, like TPU is here to protect everyone who lives on Earth, and that includes like the alien life form. Because just because they fight like kaiju and alien doesn't mean like they're actively like deporting alien refugees or something. It's like all peaceful life on Earth is sort of under the protection of TPU. And that includes alien life forms like Grace and his daughter. And sort of like because Grace is a little, little maybe perhaps a little too spirited for her own good, she's sort of like, well, you know, it, y'all had a really good teamwork out there, you know, but, you know, how good are you with my dad? I think it'd be a good training experience for both of y'all keep my dad up to form and you know see how good y'all really are you know in like combat situations so they sort of brokered this deal where the the tpu team will you know get ready for like this sort of test of strength to show like what they're capable of at the same time grace will be able to like maintain a level of activity on his own to like stay like active and ready so like he had this great big training montage like everybody's working out like it's like tpu like kanada kirino Rimon, president vice president they're you know they're hitting the gym pumping iron and meanwhile out in the field uh grace and his daughter are like you know, fighting, training, and, like, Mika, like, she knows how to fight. She's doing, like, some spin kicks and, like, some weapon work, and then they're getting ready, and then afterwards, uh, President and 
Kanata are like out on a grocery run, like with the whole like anime gag of like the leaks poking out of the grocery bag, and like it happened to run into Mika, who's also doing grocery shopping. Uh, but whereas you see how meagerly Grace and his daughter have been living, because like literally her idea, like her, her like big grocery day, grocery shopping is literally a bag full of bread crust, like from like the day old bread store. And where they have like, where Kanata and the president have like big grocery bags filled with like, you know, meat and vegetables and like just like a lot of like good solid food and they kind of like wow they're really this man's kind of been like fighting monsters and stuff and he's he and his daughter are like living off scraps so so they so they go to their house and they cook this big sumptuous meal and they have like this big hearty dinner and then like as they're winding down for not night mika's gone to bed and and like grace sort of like has this confession like you know this really means a lot to me that you, yeah, you guys, like, are doing this sort of, like, to kind of, you know, show, like, her, her, like, show my daughter, like, you know, her, her old man still got it, you know, and kind of, like, help keeping me going, but also, like, to show that there's other people out there that can protect her, because he's afraid that, because of, like, his heart pain, which he has, like, an attack all of a sudden, that, he won't be there to protect her much longer because, you know, he's an alien and, like, she's ostensibly human. So, like, in any case, like, he wants to feel comfortable that should something ever happen to him, she can be looked after. And it's kind of like, it kind of, like, gives vibes of, like, the Mickey Rourke movie, The Wrestler, like, you know, oh, he's gonna, like, go down in the ring, he's gonna go down swinging in sort of, like, this weird, like, manufactured suicide moment. Like, I'll go down fighting in this weird way. So, the day of, like, this test of strength finally comes, and so, the TPU and Grace are, like, setting out, and it's, like, this really cool cinematic scene, like, Grace is sitting there in his, in his mantle with his arms crossed, the four-cornered swords, and then you see... Kanata, Ryomon, and Kirino on the ground, like locking and loading, and you have like the nurse dressed like mothership, the guts hot, guts falcon, they're in the air, they're ready to go. And so the the fight starts and this like just to show like how ready TPU is to like to fight, you know, giant monsters, like the effectiveness of their teamwork, like the strength of their skills and like their readiness to combat of uh, any type of enemy that might appear and how suddenly they may do so. We'll find out very shortly how suddenly. So literally like the trio on the ground they're like shooting off their guns like they're, they're they still are like real ass military guns and he's like bouncing like haha not bad that tickles and then the all the different ships are like shooting and firing like bouncing on he gets ready to, to throw up then like a, a throwback of punch, but then, like, the earth splits open and Red King reappears, and, like, <laughs> Red King's actually red this time because Red King's back, and he's been, like, embellished with the power of the sphere. So, like, he's this bright red body with, like, these, like, crystalline spikes sticking out of his body, which, you know, that's sort of the calling card of the sphere-enhanced kaiju, like, these, like, crystal-like points just, like, jutting out of the body. And so, like, there's this big fracas between, you know, Grace and um, the Red King. And and at this moment, like, Kanata's like, I feel like, he, he feels like, okay, we're here to, 
prove our strength to grace and like how effective we are to this like veteran combatant and like we can't let this fuck this monster get in the way of that so he transforms into to decker and it's like you continue the the test of strength to just like to demonstrate that we have the ability to protect to fight and protect the earth i'll take care of red king so he just like bombards red king not one of these like goes power form that's just like whooping them beating them up and and then like they they continue their fight for a little bit grace and the tpu but he's but grace sees like that due to the red king's power up he's that Decker is struggling, so he decides like, okay, we we can't we gotta call this off. TPU, you win. I gotta help Decker, and so like because they have like they have like that private and often hate for both the this sort of secret type of hero. So he goes, dives in, starts fighting along. And at this point, that the doctor on the TPU team reminds him like that when the Hawk and Falcon combine to make Guts Griffin and they have that special weapon that's super effective against the spheres so they so the Guts and the Falcon they combine and they're getting ready to like charge this like anti-sphere weapon and so Grace sort of in this moment realizes what's about to happen like this non-verbal like show of like understanding between Grace and the president inside the Griffin that he sort of like straddles Red King and is like, go ahead, fire the weapon. I'll hold him down and I'll make sure that it hits. You know, very like Goku holding down Raditz so Piccolo can fire the special beam cannon. Very that. They're getting ready to fire, but then Decker's like, uh, hold on, we gotta, I gotta, I gotta save Grace. I mean, this isn't right. He can't, he can't go out like this. So he summons the, the dual sword that he got from trigger and then he then he sort of uh swipes the monster buddy cards like windham agiras uh mira uh, he summons them basically he summons the sword to summon the monsters so they can just pull grace out of the way and then so they can fire the laser essentially also windham showed up for the first time in a fight like literally for a second but then uh, the Guts Griffin fires the, their super mega ray, blows up Red King and saves the day. And I do think it's interesting that at this point in the show that the Guts team, like the TPU, they actually have more wins against the Kaiju than Decker does. Because like obviously Decker is the hero, but like when it comes to who gets the finishing blow... I mean, lately, it's been the Guts team, which is, like, I think it's really cool because I it shows... I think it's good to show that the human, they're, like, the more regular, the, quote, regular humans, like, they're still, you know, relevant in this struggle between, you know, the forces of evil. Like, you know, it's not just, like, Ultraman saving the day, which, you know, of course Ultraman's going to, but, like, they're just not there like standing there slack jawed when like there's like monsters and stuff happening like their their technology is still effective in fighting the monsters i think it's really cool you know so they get this big win and then grace returns to human form and so he collapses on the ground just because like he's so overexerted and like his his heart's just giving out so but they're able to save grace he's 
he's on the nursery side in the medical ward so they say from from here on out they'll be they'll be taking care of grace and sort of like helping him recuperate from this battle and now while that's going on the doctor is like hey the the griffin beam it worked it shows how how effective our anti spear technology is and he, once again uh he hints of the dg 001 like this super big like weapon a te- piece of technology that's going to help fight off the spear which was teased in the um, recap special of Return of Mario Lulu. So we're getting a little bit of tease, like whatever this thing is, it's it's getting closer to being revealed. Uh, that's kind of the heads and tails of um, episode nine. Like I said, it was a lot of fun. It had a great story. I loved the, the, the plot of like this ultra light fighter coming to earth to, to try to like make his name here and like fight monsters and like his daughter like <laughs> being really resourceful like literally like in a like a comedic fashion blackmailing the hero into like hey fight my dad and my dad could beat up you and sort of thing and like in just sort of respect between Gray's Ultraman and like the TPU and then it shows like how affected the humans are in in combating that just kind of minutes, but I think it's like very important to show like you know it's a team effort, you know both Ultra and humans working together to save the day, and I think that's a that's a really cool balance that they're striking with this season. So, like I said at the top of the segment, like this is one of my favorite episodes of this season so far. So yeah, great job on this one. Take another break, and then we'll be back discussing episode ten. <laughs> All right, welcome back. This is the final segment of the show. We'll be discussing episode 10 of Ultraman Dicker, Man and Monsters. And just right off the bat, this was a solid fucking episode. Holy crap. This was it. This episode 10 and episode 9 are definitely probably my two favorite episodes of the series so far. Like, it's really good. It's a lot of really cool like ideas and just great imagery and there's just like a lot of really solid stuff in this episode like it was really cool and plus it it gets folk it it gives focus to a character we haven't really seen a lot of and or saw too much of and like i was kind of surprised that they got to be the focus it's kaizaki she's the vice captain of the tpu team of the guts team and it goes to explore her story and you get a little bit of a flashback like 10 years prior to the series starting like kaizaki is in this underground cavern with this older woman and basically there's like this giant fossilized like kaiju buried underneath the earth and it's sort of that sort of sets up the bigger plot of the show how there's this mysterious new kaiju like attacking in present day it's just like great big dinosaur type it's like this this red carapace and and features on it and it's attacking these other kaiju like there's an opening bout with this sort of amphibian fish like kaiju king guersa and it's fighting and beats it up pretty handily it pulls like a godzilla 2014 fatality like wrenches that fish's mouth open and blasts a beam down at it and blows it up and it goes to like start swinging again it suddenly stops and then for a second there i thought does this kaiju have like time stopping powers or something but it just sort of suddenly freezes and then 
digs into the earth and runs away. And then this new kaiju has been dubbed Neo Megas. It's this heretofore unknown kaiju. It's like it's, it has not on any of their databases. And it's like they don't know what it is. And they're kind of at a loss to explain its behavior. Like it's this giant kaiju that comes out of nowhere, fights other kaiju, beats them, and then disappears. And, and they're wondering, like, is... is this kaiju good is it is it protecting humanity is it sort of just fighting against natural rivals like animals do and so in order to get to the bottom of this kaizaki takes a team out to like the latest battle zone and basically just like start taking tissue samples and geological samples just kind of figure out as much as they can about the creature because like trying to be oh if you find out where it's coming from we can sort of like track where it's gonna go but like a lot of the samples like geologically you're kind of prove inconclusive like there's from where they kind of determined that the rocks and the soil that they found on the creatures hide kind of comes from kind of all over the place so they're just sort of at a standstill right now and then in a quiet moment the, the doctor he sort of uh, briefs uh kaizaki and said that their secret project the dg001 has been completed and then she's talking to the captain about it she seems rather apprehensive about it discussing it further because there's something else there's something up with this this weapon and we get a quick glimpse at this the dg001 is this giant robot and there's something else about it that she seems reluctant to discuss so she kind of changed the subject and just like assures the captain that you know despite working hard she's not gonna overwhelm herself and um and a few moments later, like Kanada and Kirino show up and sort of like give her like a this little can of coffee as like a, a little thank you for like working so hard and like and then Riemon shows up and they all decide to have like you know a little hangout time and basically they, they sit down at like a cafe or like you know the mess hall and sort of start asking her questions like you know she's their superior and they don't really know too much about her so it's like they ask start inquiring like what made you want to study monsters in the first place and she's sort of just very frank and just like well it's because a kaiju attacked my hometown and a lot of people were killed and there there's a lot of damage she wants to sort of understand what kaiju are and how they behave and and, he, and it sort of uh goes into detail like why the kaiju attack a kaiju attack because of natural reasons sort of like because they're like essentially giant animals so, you know they some of them are very aggressive and some you know there's like natural changes in the earth that sort of set kaiju off and make them aggressive or you know the humans affecting their environment they influence the kaiju attack and then also just like just from previous ultra like activity and alien activity like when the eternity core this giant ball of like alien energy sort of affects the earth and that sort of stirred up the kaiju too so there's like all these different reasons why these giant monsters have historically been attacking and why they continue to attack and basically it's like there's just facet of nature that they can't quite figure out and they're sort of at a loss to determine the best way to deal with it because it's definitely not a new topic amongst ultra shows to show kaiju in a, like an empathetic light or like a or you know in a grazed setting because you know they're not just like these intentionally malicious creatures on sometimes they are just purely animals driven by instinct or they're just like neutral beings trying to survive or actively benevolent creatures so like you have all these different aspects of what kaiju are and kanada is just wondering because you know they have they obviously they have to ward off kaiju for the sake of protecting human lives but like you know there's all the component of like 
they're living beings too. And he asked her, "Is like, can humans and kaiju ever coexist? Can there be a way that they can exist without us destroying each other? Essentially, kaiju's killing humans and humans having to kill kaiju. And, and Kaisaki said she doesn't know. Just from all her years of study, she doesn't know what can be done. And so, like, it's just, it's just, it's a really interesting, like, kind of philosophical question. It's like, you know, basically, like, what you do here, you know, these creatures are alive, you know, they have, a, I guess, a, a right to live at the same time. The, their very existence is an active and continual threat to human survival. So, like, how do you, how do you uh, reckon with that? And is this, is this point that Ryumon chimes in because he's been like sort of going over the uh the footage of the Omega's attack and he sort of realizes that and all these moments where he's fighting other the Omega's was fighting other kaiju after the battle was completed it has like this sort of free range of motion until it suddenly stops in place and then it buries away and then it's in that moment that Kaizaki remembers something from her past like wait a minute is this kaiju being controlled and that sounds eerily familiar to something that she heard as a as a younger woman and then as she races off uh, Kanata runs after her and then Yumon and Kirino learn later that Kaizaki's mentor was a woman named Maki Shiginaga, who is like the lead kaiju investigator and researcher for TPU five years ago. And she knows she was, she taught uh, Kaizaki in school and she was sort of like her superior at TPU in the kaiju division. However, Shiginaga was fired from her position uh, five years ago and she has since disappeared to no to like to no whereabouts essentially the reason why she was let go is because that she was performing like these these like ethically dubious scientific studies essentially she was like gathering kaiju re- like you know samples and like remains and cloning them and like putting like implants in their brains to like control them basically to create what bioweapons out of kaiju so they can fight other kaiju and to show that through science these monsters can be controlled and used as weapons to defend humanity but like that sort of like goes into this ethical quandary of like of what science is and isn't allowed to do or should do so she was fired and you know kaizaki is one of the people who's the most outspoken against her doing these things then it cuts back to the deep woods and Kaizaki just explaining like all of this from her perspective to Kanata. But uh, unfortunately, they're further deep in the woods. They, they sort of like are surrounded by like sniper dots. And then Shigenaga appears from the woods, you know, sort of like chastising Kaizaki for like, you know, missing the, missing the forest for the trees, like, like literally inside of a forest. So she takes them hostage to her secret lair and explains that Neomegas is this kaiju, the same kaiju that her and Kaizaki discovered 10 years ago, like buried in the earth. And she used her tissue samples, her kaiju DNA, and then used that to augment the existing kaiju strength and creating this new kaiju neomegas and and through like shadow funding from like other companies and other organizations and other countries she was able to get the funding to basically use this like mind controlled kaiju as a weapon and to sort of to demonstrate that you know this is the most efficient way of dealing with the giant monsters that plague the earth and basically 
and to the to to another extent to it prove to Kaizaki that her optimism is misplaced that there is some way to reach as a, a coexistence between monsters and humans and so she turns on the omegas to be like this final demonstration of its strength and so and this is really cool moment where like the omegas like scoops up Shigenaga and as it's sort of like bursting through the the ceiling through out of the like you see the Neomegas rise and Shigenagi standing in its hand she's like looking down like scornfully it was then that Kanata transforms into Decker and there's like this really cool like like reflective moment of the two opposing ideologies on one hand you have Decker holding Kaizaki in his hand staring down at Neomegas, you know, saying that, you know, you know, like, obviously humans will have to defend themselves, but there has to be another way to, to confront this kaiju issue. And on the other hand, you have Shigenaga standing in the palm of Neomegas, you know, this, like, puppet of hers to use to fight other kaiju. And then, then the throwdown starts, like, and immediately... Decker has his work cut out for him because, like, his he's fighting with everything he's got, and you know, Neo Vegas is is giving as good as he's getting, and then on the ground, Kaizaki goes to confront her old mentor, and <laughs> it was still a, a great gag when like Shikinaki just pulls out a fucking Glock, and it's like, hold up, bitch, I'm about to tell you while you're dumb and wrong for thinking humans and kaiju can 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 ever coexist outside of you know, one destroying the other, and I'm about to prove that my boy can whoop your boy, and there's, like, there's, like, a nice little, like, visual representation of their ideologies, like, you have behind them, once again, you have Kaizaki, and in the background, there's, like, you know, a forest that's, like, full of life, and this lush, and behind Shigena, there's, like, all these, like, like, dead and, like, withered trees, so, like, you know, kind of, like, you know, this visual representation of, like, what they believe and so you know that was a pretty nice little touch but then you know the battle continues and and Neomegas is just like putting the hurt down on Decker like he goes to hit this big beam on uh on Decker and then, but then Decker counters with his beam so that this big like beam struggle as they're like as their powers clash against each other but Neomegas puts some more stank on it and then like blows Decker away but the last second um, the droid pilot Hanejiro like swoops in with a uh, guts hawk and like uses it's like it's large robot arms to kind of like scoop up Decker and like basically fly him around like a with a like a jetpack. So he's like zipping, flying through the air, and Neomega's is firing his laser off, and then he, Decker form changes to power type and just like kind of dive bombs out of the air, punching Neomega's and that down on the ground. At this point, uh, Ryomon and Kirino have, like, snuck up and, like, disarmed Shigenaga and Kaizaki in this dramatic moment. Takes off the dependent that's controlling the Omegas and, like, shoots it. But unfortunately, not only that was that pendant controlling the Omegas, it was also, like, it's a power inhibitor. So, like, now the Omegas is, like, gone berserk and just a rampage and it's just beaten up. And so, like, when this, like, big clash like see cause like Decker's got his fist like buried in his gut and he's just like pumping like fire and energy like into it like so much that 
Nimegas' body's like glowing, like burning Godzilla, just like glowing red hot. Meanwhile, Nimegas is like bitten down deep into the shoulder of of Deckard to the point where it seems like it's it seems like his ultra body is about to break, like it's glowing, like the energy does, like he's about to dissipate in that one spot, and he's like wincing from the pain. And just like with one final push, he pumps more juice into it and destroys Nemegas. And it's like the it's an enormous explosion. You think he takes him out too, and then like a giant shard of Nemegas's like carapace, like one of his like body spikes, like lands in the ground like a sword, just sticking straight up. So Nemegas has been defeated. Shikanagi's weapon has been stopped, but you know. The, like she's sort of resolute in her belief that humans and kaiju there can be no peace between them because like the existence of one means the destruction of a, of the other and so she doesn't believe that kaizaki's optimism can save humanity because no matter what as time is proved kaiju will always come back and kaiju will always destroy human settlements and then in turn humans will have to defend themselves to destroy the kaiju and just like it's a never-ending battle until one side decides decides it's enough and makes that final decision to destroy the other and kaizaki's like i can't do that i i don't care if it takes my whole life i'll find a way i find a better way for for the kaiju life and human life to exist on earth it's just sort of like tearfully, you know, reproaching her mentor as her mentor is like carried away into, you know, custody. And it was like, and just such a really interesting episode. I love sort of the philosophical divide because, you know, like I said earlier, like this is something that Ultraman's always touched on. Like, you know, the the more ambiguity of like, of these, of fighting these fighting these monsters because obviously this is a show this is an action show like so fighting monsters is always going to be a part of it but they, they still kind of work in lights and the little thing for the people to think about you know yes you know fighting monsters is cool is badass but you know you know are kaiju like chaotic evil always or sort of like or, or it's in a mixed bag and it's just an imperfect world that both of these life forms have to exist in humans and kaiju struggling against each other so each have their needs and each needs to live and and those kind of come into conflict with each other i think this is a really interesting point and like honestly i really hope that shigenagi comes back because i i think she would be like a great recurring villain like i really really hope that this isn't just like a one and done type story like I hope, like, like her shadow benefactors like come back, bust her out of jail, and she's like, "Guess what, bitch? I got more factory-made kaiju." And like, cause I think like, cause it, she just gives so much like mad scientists like Broads Gallery type villain. Like, I want like her to be to Doctor Monsters. Like, every so often she comes back out of the the dark. She's got another like designer monster ready to to give people some trouble and that spike that was left over from neo megas's uh corpse like you know that the fact they lingered on that shot I means like surely that's gonna come back into play at some point like 
even if the TPU has like taken custody of like uh, Shigenaga's like research material, like that, that's a giant, you know, kaiju like spike sticking in the ground. Like somebody can find it. Like those organizations are still out there. And then that wound that Decker received in the fight with Neomegas, like that's surely that's something that will come back too. Like that wound will flare up at a later date because like I you know you don't really see that like you know like the the basically the kaiju biting down so hard that the ultra's energy body was about to like burst so like that's significant so I feel like there's a lot of really great like open thread lines here that I really hope they come back to because like these to me they're those it's just so tasty not to do like i would really i would really hate if none of this was like revisited at a later date in the series because this is just like this is like there's like some some really good morsels to chew on and like just ripe for further exploration so yeah another great episode nine and ten not that out of the park great episodes great stories just great fun like these are really good so you know it's been looking good for Ultraman lately there's a lot of cool stuff coming out the last two episodes are great like even more stuff coming on so like we're eating good as Ultraman fans like it's it's been great lately so as we wrap up I just want to like thank you all so much again for listening to the past episodes of Ultraman during this break. I appreciate your patience as we're sort of like getting ready for a new phase in AYCH trying some new things. And so obviously the Ultraman files, they will be continue to be a part of that. I will go ahead and announce here that uh, going forward, the Ultraman files will be on its own separate channel the AYCH will have for it. That's right, Ultraman Files will have its own dedicated feed from here on out. So you can look forward to exclusively Ultraman reviews, Ultraman related discussion, and even other Toku topics, you know, like Ultra, like Common Rider, like like Super Sentai and everything else that falls under the realm of Tokusatsu, that will be on the Ultraman feed. And the details for that will be given in the later date. They will be in the description of the episode. So don't worry. You'll get more details as we come forward with that. So please be looking forward to the launch of the Ultraman Files as its own separate entity under the AYCH network umbrella. And all the other good stuff we have coming up this fall from AYCH I think you're going to be really excited about what we come up with there's going to be a lot of really cool stuff so please stay tuned for that and uh, going forward on the next Ultraman Files I plan to do an episode discussing the issue 2 of the Mystery of Ultra 7 from Marvel and issue 3 of Breadman so keep an eye on that and, and of course continued episode discussions as we go on the rest of Ultraman Decker so Signing off for today, be sure to like, rate, view, subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts on Apple Podcasts, on SoundCloud, on Spotify, on Google Podcasts. Be sure to follow us, like us, five stars, helps us out, keeps us visible, puts us in front of new people. We always appreciate you when you do it. it means a lot to me. It's just like this solo project that I'm taking on and it like, you know, gives me energy to keep going with it. And, um, 
We'll just keep trugging along. Be sure to check out everything else under the AYC8 umbrella from the main show, from KG Greatness, and all the new stuff we have coming down the pipe. We have a lot of work put in this stuff, and we have a lot of passion, and we're going to continue to make a lot of really cool things. And we hope you all enjoy this, like, ever-expanding, all-you-can-eat, all-you-can-hear buffet of really cool shows and ideas. So thank you all so much. Have a great night. And signing off with the hearty shoo-watch. Ooh.